Amen. Uh, last week we started talking about the Word of God. That's a good thing to talk about. And we started talking about uh, how it's divinely inspired, different aspects of it. And we ended talking about how it's all right for us to believe that Scripture is the inspired Word of God. And that is the starting point is that we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. So it's, it's good for something. And then uh, it talked, though, about how that we can uh, know every good work through it. But we ended talking about that that's a starting point, that the Word of God is inspired. But the Word of God should not just... We shouldn't just believe that it's inspired, but it should inspire us. should inspire us. That when I read Scripture, and if I believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable then it should profit me, it should inspire me, it should do something within me. And that is more than just when we come to church and hear the Word of God preached, which that is a great way for the Word of God to inspire you or work in your life. But when I read Scripture, it should inspire me. That there should be something that grabs a hold of me. Uh, and, and if it's not, then the problem is not with the Word, because it's inspired by God. So I need to conform myself to the Word of God. I need to conform myself to the, what the Word says. And I need to allow it to inspire me in my life to go to greater depths and heights in God. And so this week, we're continuing talking about the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God. And this week, we're going to look at its instructions and also get into the will of God today. So I want us to pray that the Lord would have His way that he would move and touch in every class today. Join with me in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and privilege we have today. And Lord, I pray that your word would lead us and guide us today. Lord, in every class, that you would anoint every ear. Lord, that you would help every teacher to speak your word with boldness, with authority, God, to walk in your anointing today. And Lord, we know that your word has a work to do. And Lord, anoint our ears to hear it today and what you want to do in our hearts and lives. We believe you and trust you, God. Amen. Amen. Moses. Well, actually, let's not talk about Moses. Let's talk about Joshua. <laughs> We're going to read a verse from Joshua first, and then we'll go back to Moses. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do it according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That sounds nice there at the end. Have your way prosperous and have good success. We'll just take that and go from there. You're going to leave this place prosperous and with good success. Well, there we go. <laughs> All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Even the law. Now let's get back to Moses. He was once, he was once uh, had described himself to God in the desert as God appears to him in a burning bush, as a man being slow of speech. Now, what this means, uh, we're not exactly sure whether he stuttered, whether uh, he was just not confident in speaking the Egyptian language anymore. Whatever it was, that he was slow of speech, not a man of many words. But that was four decades ago. <laughs> just like when the preacher gets up and tells you about his first sermon... <laughs> And that's, that's, at this point in my first sermon, I've only done announcements and read one verse. I was already done. <laughs> but four decades have passed. And, and though time moved a little slowly, we find that men change through that time. And now Moses, the final battle has been accomplished that he would fight. It was against the king Og. He was a king that slept in an iron bed that was 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. Now that's a bed. You need a bed like that. Moses is helped to his feet. And on this occasion, he steps up to utter his last words, to record his final words to the nation. His words are written down and his successors will uh, 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 put all these words in a book of Moses 
It's, it's not just the book of Moses in our Bible. It's a portion of Deuteronomy. But they would write these words down and it was a book of Moses' last words and it was simply known as words. There's a lot of them. The glory on his face had faded from that time that he had climbed the mountain and he's 120 years old and he recites the history to the Israelites. He includes their failures, their victories, their wanderings. And then he reiterates the law. And he also prophesies that his people, those people of God that God has brought and done great exploits with, would at some point still become indifferent to the law again, and thus would become a nation of slaves again. We find that the Old Testament gives us so many examples, it gives us so many things that we need to uh, uh, look at and remember that a nation of slaves brought out of Egypt would once again become a nation of slaves Paul says that you would not become enslaved again. But his sermon, this man a few words, slow of speech, that wanted his brother to come and talk for him, lasts about two hours now. I always think that sermon of Paul's, but when he's giving his last sermon to the group gathered there and the guy falls asleep, the guy falls out the window, dies, they revive him, and you know what Paul does? He's like, all right, now let's finish this sermon up. <laughs> you want to talk about nothing, no distractions getting in the way. You can die and Paul ain't going to quit. <laughs> but as Moses concludes, he, he looks to the people standing around him. These are the, the young elders as, as these are the ones that are getting ready to possess the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14, we, we find... Moses' last words recorded in Deuteronomy 29 through 31, but we find that Moses says this, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. This is the end of an age. Moses is passing. A generation is passed. He gives a few more instructions. He gives a word to Joshua. And then his voice falls silent. He heads up the mountain. He gets a glimpse of the promised land. That's it. Just a glimpse. And then he lays down to die. The Lord closes Moses' eyes and buries him on that mountain. Moses said the word of God is holy. It's guarded by heaven. It's eternal. It's the greatest treasure on earth. But here on earth, human treasure, it, it's valued differently because we equate something to have a lot of worth when it's scarce, like common sense. <laughs> it's worth a lot because there's not much of it. But Moses taught that the word of God is not scarce. It is readily available for everyone. It is free. In fact, he says the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart. God's will for his people lives as close as the mention of his name. So as we look at the instructions of the word of God, we come to this question here. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? That's a loaded question. What is the will of God? There are points in our life, uh, maybe you've had one of these points or multiple times when you have said, Lord, I want to know your will, I want to know your purpose, I want to know your plan. And much could be said about the will of God. What is the will of God? There's a lot of misapprehensions about what the will of God is. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know, want to say mysticism, let's say mystique around the will of God, because you would not be asking what the will of God is if you knew what the will of God was. So it's this unknown. It's this thing that you are seeking for. It's this thing that you're looking for. It can be this big, huge thing that, that, that clouds everything else while you look for the will of God. But there's a lot of apprehension about it. Some, some people uh, uh, want a sign. 
a heavenly sign uh, uh, as Gideon lays out the fleece and, and he tests God. Some people want a big miraculous sign. They want lights in heaven. They want a booming voice. They want something. And, and that would be really nice because a lot of times if that happens, then um, you know, you'd think, well, that would erase all doubt. I would venture to say, though, that if God has to speak to you with that big of a sign, you've probably missed the other ones. Well, anyway, that's just my opinion. I don't have a verse for that right now, but that's just my opinion. Sometimes we look for the heavenly sign and saying, you know, well, if this happens, then I'll do this. Or if that happens, I'll do this. In fact, uh, a lot of times with the will of God, we go to this idea of open doors. Of open doors. If God opens the door, if God lets this happen, well, not every open door means that it's a door that's been opened by God. And sometimes more than one door is open. Because this is a partnership and there is ownership and own is placed upon us. Because we have free will. Now we like free will when we get to make the choices that we want to make. But when we're looking in these kind of areas, you know what we want? We want God to make the choice for us. We want Him to push us so we trip, hit the door, fall through it, and we're like, oh, here I am. I'm in the will of God now. We want God to make all the decisions and make it so uh, blatantly obvious to us, but not every open door means that it's of God. A lot of times when we start talking about the will of God too, we can misuse the will of God. It becomes this blanket statement that we can say, well, it's the will of God, and use it to justify our own desires, our own feelings. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's the will of God. <laughs> I don't know if you realize that or not. Just because it's a good feeling doesn't mean it's the will of God. Because the will of God is not something that we use to justify our feelings. Let me tell you this, as we look at the authority of the Word of God, as we look at the instructions in the Word of God, you can, you can rest assured in this fact that, well, first of all, I'm not going to tell you what the will of God is for your life specifically, but you can rest in this fact, is that, the will of God will not contradict the Word of God. God will not tell you to do something that goes against His Word. Okay, so that is important for me to realize. And so whenever I feel that something is the will of God, I need to go to the Word of God because the instructions, the authority are found in the Word of God. I think the will of God is something that is a little bit more clear, a little bit more widely acceptable, accessible, not acceptable, accessible uh, than maybe what we even think. I think that, that there are things that can be found that are concrete in the Word of God. And I think it's important for us that we make sure that the starting point for finding the will of God is the Word of God, is the Word of God. And, and I'll explain that in just a minute, not that if it needs explanation. But we find that the will of God is in the Word of God. The will of God is in the Word of God. Moses and Paul, they both spoke of God's will as that which is expressed in God's Word. And they both said, we read, uh, we read those words of Moses, that the Word is near and the Word is knowable. That sometimes we get so caught up in the distant and in the far off and we get so caught up, uh, Paul mentions it many times, don't get caught up in fables, don't get caught up in genealogies, because you know what, I, I don't know if you realize this, but when you read the Bible, you're not going to get all of it. <laughs> you're not going to get all of it. How many of you have ever read, you know, because we say, oh, we're great, all scripture is given for ins by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for me, amen, until you turn to those chapters in your Bible reading, you're like, man, all right, I made it through that. You don't say, I got something from that. You say, I made it through that. There's stories in Scripture that it's just like, well, all I get from that, man, I'm glad I didn't live then. That's a weird old story. Because I'm not going to get it all. Okay, that, uh, Scripture, it, that, that's why we become students of the Word, and I don't ever say, well, I've got the Bible now. You don't ever say that. 
That's why you can read Scripture multiple times and get something new out of it every single time because there, there's more than what we just read. And, and sometimes it's revelation of God and timing and seasons and God uh, giving you a word in a moment. But understanding that I'm not going to understand it all just all at once. But we get so, so caught up sometimes in, in the will of God and the obscurity of Scripture and, and, and things that are just far out of there and we forget to see what's right in front of us. What is right in front of us. And we get so caught up in the distant that we lose sight of the near and end up doing nothing. Now I can tell you that the will of God is not for you to do nothing. I don't know if that's a correct English sentence to have not and nothing like that. But it works right now because time change. Time change. It works. It works. Today you can get away with all kinds of stuff and just say it's the time change. I'm just messed up because of the time change. See how long you can do that for. But the word of God, even though it's written long ago, we understand. Uh, Hebrews, he, the author of Hebrews, he, he quotes the Old Testament many times and he refers when, when, they, when they talk about it to the written word is that which the Holy Spirit speaks or says. And in the present tense, that words that were written thousands of years before the writer of Hebrews rewrote those words, and he still says the Spirit still speaks. That the words are not just for a particular time, but they are for me, they are present, they are for right now, and I can find the will of God throughout Scripture. And if the Spirit and the Word speak together, there never was, there never is, and there never will be a time, if it's in Scripture, that it quits saying it. That it quits saying it. Now, we understand the importance of that when it comes to the Holy Ghost, right? Because there's people that say the Holy Ghost was just for that time. We don't believe that. Amen? Alright. We believe the Holy Ghost is still for today. We can still have the Holy Ghost. Amen, there we go, it's time change. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, all right. The Holy Ghost doesn't work at 8.30, it just starts at 9.30, now we're all messed up. But there's never a time when he's not saying it. So if I believe that about his words, then when we read the words of Moses that we read, that his, his word is not far, that his, his law is not far, that the words that he speaks to us are not words that we say, well, who's going to travel far away and get those words for us and bring them back? And who's going to find, cross the seas and find it? No, it's near and it's present to us. And if it was true then, it's true today. And people use that the, the will of God, they use the unknown, they use these uh, uh, big philosophical things to really not do what God wants them to do right now. <laughs> because Scripture is full of things for me to do right now. It, it, it has to be said that God's will for you is primarily known, knowable through a prayerful reading and retention of Scripture. That when I prayerfully read and when I, pray, and when I retain Scripture... God's will starts to be revealed to me. Do you know the Spirit will speak to you through Scripture? It will speak to you through Scripture. Uh, if, uh, I mentioned already, but I, I don't know. There, I'm sure there's people in here that you've, there's a verse that you've read 50 times before. Then all of a sudden you're reading that verse, you're like, man, I never saw that before. That is the Spirit speaking through the Scripture to you. That's not that you just suddenly got smarter. You may have. Okay? It wasn't because you took a college class and now you can read that verse better. All right, that's the Spirit speaking to you. That's why it's the living Word of God. It's because it can become alive to me. All right? And we know that the Spirit makes intercession for us as well. It makes intercession that the Spirit does these things. And so when I'm seeking to know God's will, here's a starting point for us in the Word of God. Here's a starting point. Am I first obeying and applying the revealed Word of God and will of God in my life already? You see, because what we like to do is we get so focused on the distant that we forget what God has already revealed to us. He's already revealed us some, to us some things. We get interested and we get caught up in what can't be known and we forget what is known. The known will of God is throughout all of Scripture. 
the pro- here's the problem with Scripture. Let me tell you the big problem with Scripture that I have. Here's the big problem with it. This is why I don't like the Bible. It convicts me. I don't like it. I don't like reading it because it shows things that I need to do and quit doing. I don't like that. I'd rather just pray about what I don't know rather than read the Bible and tell me what, I, what I'm doing wrong in my life. I, I, I don't want it to challenge me in certain areas. But it's in those areas, in those times when the Word of God is revealed to me that I start to find what the will of God can be for my life, that I start to see uh, that, that, that revelation comes, greater revelation comes when I start doing what's been revealed to me. That when I start obeying the Word of God and what the Word of God tells me to do right now, then God begins to reveal more of His will to me. That if I can't do what God has told me to do, to do here, how can He expect me to do the other things? The known will of God. What is the known will of God? It's what I should consult first and foremost. Scripture is full of things that I'm supposed to do in my life. Scripture is all, full of all kinds of things. That, that really, I, I, I read the Word of God in prayer, but it, it's pretty easy to gather some of the things that it tells me to do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3-7 through 7 says, For this is the will of God. Hmm, wonder what this means. Your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Right there I know that the will of God for my life is sanctification. Okay, Now we think, well man, that's, that's just holiness, sanctification, man, we know all that stuff. But you know what? This should inspire me in my daily life. This should, this should mean something in my daily life. This allows me to see more of the will of God when this is put into my life, that I understand that there are certain things that I'm abstaining from, that God has called me to, uh, to be sexually pure, to be moral in His eyes in those ways. That means whatever stage of life I'm in, whatever point I'm at, to do what Scripture says about that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 18. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See what I mean? That's the kind of stuff I don't like. That's why I don't like Scripture. And everything give thanks. Why? Why do I have to give thanks in this situation? Because it's the will of God. It's the will of God. And, and, and I want to know if God wants to do this with my life and, and when I'll do this and this big old thing and all this stuff and I can't give Him thanks. I'm struggling to give them thanks in the good times. Oh, now that happens. Anyone remember the story of the, of the leopards who came to Jesus and one of their spots gone? Nine of them left. God did a work in their life. Only one returned for thanks. It's, it's, it's possible in the good times to not give thanks. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. But recall the former days when you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding one. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's a long list in there you got to go to church, fellowship with people, be nice to people because you're in the body of Christ, have compassion on those in prison, joyfully accept the plundering of your property. See, I told you, I don't, I don't like some of this stuff. Because you have a better possession? Yeah, take my stuff because i got better stuff that you don't know about. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When I start looking at these things, these are just a few examples. We find, of course, a a life mission for every person that says, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, is go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them, making disciples of them. What is the will of God for my life? I get so caught up in what I don't know that nobody even knows that I go to church. 
and I expect God to take my life and show me all these things when I can't even do the simple things. Sometimes it's almost like the, the parable of the talents. That God has given us instructions and we just bury them in the ground. And we expect God to come back and be pleased and to give us more. Give us more revelation. Give us more instruction. Well, why would He do that if I haven't been faithful in the little things? And really, when I start looking at it, these aren't so little. These could consume my life. Going, teaching, baptizing, going to church, fellowshipping, having compassion on those in prison, joyfully accepting the plundering of my property. I don't like saying that anymore, so we're not going to talk about that one. But the Bible is full of clear directives to you and I that we have obligations that God has called us to do certain things. And so when I look at situations, how, how am I doing? When I start putting these up against my life, the Word of God is profitable, remember? And if I want more revelation, I have to apply the revelation that I have. Well, that's just revelation that everyone knows. No, no, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. Am I giving thanks in every situation? Am I, am I working towards sanctification in my life? Am I trying to be holy in my life? These are the will of God. Am I trying to hold fast the confession of my faith? Unwavering is what Hebrews says. Am I standing up in the face of evil? Am I standing up and confessing my faith when I need to? Am I doing all these things? Do I have compassion for the downtrodden? Do I refuse to despair, be anxious over worldly possessions? This is the will of God. You know, it's interesting. Let's, in Acts chapter, this, this isn't on the, the PowerPoint up there. Acts, one of those chapters in Acts. Let's pick chapter 19. Let's not, let's go back to 18. In Acts, Acts chapter 17... Uh, Paul finds himself in Athens. This, this isn't, I am going to 18, but I was given context in 17, just so you know. I was only one chapter off, not two. Paul, Paul finds himself in Athens waiting. And this, this is an interesting circumstance because this is a place that we don't find God telling Paul to specifically go. He just kind of seems to end up in Athens, as you do. You just end up in Athens. And it says, while he was waiting, he was waiting for other people to meet him. His spirit was provoked within him because he saw all the idols. He saw idols to everything. And in fact, this is where we know he sees the altar to the unknown God. And he proceeds to testify and says, you have an altar here to the unknown God. I'm here to tell you who that is. It's the God that I serve. And he proceeds to give them a testimony and he's in the place where all the philosophers are gathered and they're all listening and, 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 and they kind of, it says some people believed, but he said generally they, they, it kind of seems to be, well, why don't you come back sometime and we'll talk about this some more. We're not sure if you're crazy. We're not sure what's going on here. And when you look at the life of Paul and you look at the ministry of Paul, Athens is the place where if you want to say he had the least success when we look at it from just what we know. Of course, we know when you're following after the will of God, when you're doing what God has spoken to you, it's, it's not unsuccessful if you do what he tells you to do. But Paul leaves there, and he ends up in Corinth. And it's in Corinth that he finds Aquila and Priscilla. And many people in this uh, time period, Paul starts working with Aquila and Priscilla. He was a tent maker, they were tent makers, so they all just start working together, and he stays there for quite a while. And it's interesting because most people feel that Paul, during this time, experienced some sort of depression or downturn in his ministry. He felt like what he'd done at Athens was a waste of time. He felt like what had happened there was just, it, it, it didn't turn out the way that he thought he would. Here I have an opportunity to minister to the philosophers of the day. And they, they're not really sure if I'm crazy or not. Some people feel that, that he, well, he spent some of his longest stretches of time here at Corinth and he's working however we do find that even Paul when he is here at Corinth and, and, and he's most people feel that he's kind of in this moment when he's trying to figure out what to do next and he gets a job and works a job for a while that even in this moment 
when he's not sure of where God wants him to go next or what he wants him to do next. In verse 4 it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And that even in this moment, when he was not sure about the exactness of his future and every, all the details of where he was going to go next, he still knew that God had a purpose and a plan and there was a will of God for his life. And so every Sunday, or not Sunday, every Saturday... Time change. Every Saturday, he got up and he went to the synagogue and he preached there because he knew that God had, there was a will of God, that there was something that God called him to do, that he was called to go, to reach, that he was called to do this in his life. So I don't know the details, but I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm still going to do what I know God has called me to do because I'm going to be faithful in those things. The danger is. We lose sight of it all and end up doing nothing. In our search for the will of God, we end up doing none of the will of God. Paul realized that while I'm seeking, while I'm looking, that doesn't put these other things on hold. I'm still called to do these things. That all these things that God has called us to, these are major things. That they're internal things that I can always be working on. I can always be working on how I can give thanks in every situation. And I can always be working on these things. But we've got to see to the Word of God first, what He says. Why do we seek to the unknown far away when the unexplored and the untried known is at our fingertips? So we ask, okay, well that's fine. I knew all that stuff. Good for you. I knew that I was supposed to be holy. I knew I was supposed to be sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. I knew I was supposed to do all these things. I knew I was supposed to give thanks. I knew I was supposed to do all that. Uh, That's just the same old thing. How does taking care of these issues affect the will of God that I'm praying about? Lord, which job am I supposed to take? Lord, where am I supposed to go? Which choice am I supposed to make in this decision? I'm sp- my kids have got this coming up. What, what cho- how, how does doing what we know to do affect those? Because it doesn't give us a direct answer. Lord, I need to know which job to take. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God. Okay. Thank you for both opportunities. Thank you for none of the opportunities. I just need a job. How does that affect those things? You see, what we're dealing with is priorities. Priorities. Is the Word of God a priority? When I start to make the words of God my priority, the other priorities that I'm praying about start to fall in place. When I make what He has already told me a priority, uh, you know, I think it's so funny because, you know, it's so easy for us to pull analogies from our kids and then not realize that we're the kids in the analogy with God. Okay? I mean, when you give your kids instructions and they just want to, no, just do what I told you right now. Just do what I told you right now, for goodness sake. I know it's a time change, but just do what I told you right now. Okay? You want to move on. No, do what I told you right now. It's dealing with priorities. If you obey the clear and known word of God, if you obey what you know to do, if you follow what you know to do, the will of God that has been revealed in your life, then it will start to affect the other decisions you need to make in your life. Why? Because the word of God and doing the word of God is powerful. You see, we still have in our minds that things are disconnected and segmented off. We still think, even though we we know all this, we still think that our life is segmented into parts. And we don't realize the power that the Word of God has and the power that the Spirit of God should have in our life. That when I'm giving thanks over here in this situation and fulfilling the word of God in this situation, God can work over here in this one even though they seem unrelated. 
I'm looking for answers over here, and this seems to have nothing to do with it. Yet if I will do what I know to do here, God will start to work and answer here. That is the power of the Word of God. It's all connected. And so while I'm seeking for direction in ministry, if I do what I know to do at work, or if I know, to, if I know what to do in ministry, I do it, God may change my circumstance at work that I've been praying about, or in my family, or whatever it is. That's the importance of doing what God has told me to do. You know why? You don't see the big picture. You don't. Again, just like our kids. There's things we tell our kids to do because, and they don't understand in the, the particulars of this moment, but you understand you're working for something bigger, something greater. You understand that. If you told them the whole picture, that would just be a waste of time because they wouldn't get it. Uh-oh. If God told us the whole picture, we probably wouldn't get it either. We probably wouldn't get it. And so it's, it, we have to see the power of the Word of God, that, that these decisions that, that we don't know, when we focus on what we do know, God begins to work in those areas. And really, if the Word of God is the priority, then all of those other things fall into place which aren't first. Which aren't first. Does that mean they're not important? Does that mean they don't have value? No. But I understand that my first priority is doing what the Word says to do. The Spirit-filled soul obeys the Spirit, and the Spirit's voice is the voice of the Scripture. You know, I, I, I get it. I understand. You know, you pray for God to speak to you. You pray for a word. First of all, let me say, if you're not sure what to do and you haven't prayed, pray about it. Second of all, if you're praying about something and you don't hear God talking to you, you have 1,095 pages of His voice. If you have giant print, you may have more. I just, man, I wish God would speak to me. Man, I just want to hear his voice. I wish he would just say something to me. This is alive. It is alive. And it can speak to you in your situation. It can speak to you in your decisions because it is not just a book. In fact, if we take what John says, if this book could take on a human form, it would look like Jesus. I just wish he would speak to me. There's so much that he has spoken to me already, and I wonder what would happen if I begin to do what he has spoke to me, what more I will find in his words that he has already spoken to me. Because let me tell you, every circum there's, all, there's all kinds of weird circumstances in Scripture that God spoke to people. And you know what? If those words were true then, they can be true for you today. That's why we said that. We know the Holy Ghost was for then, but it's for us today. And God could have spoke words to Moses or Joshua or David, and all of a sudden God could reveal those words to you, and they're still for your situation today. Because the Word of God is still true, and it's still effective, it's still profitable for you and I today. So they're not just stories. They're not just words. It's God's revealed word to us. The Spirit-filled soul obeys the Spirit, and the Spirit's voice is the voice of Scripture. Again, I said at the very start, that's why when you feel to do something of God, you better make sure it matches with Scripture, because this is the voice of God. And God is not confused. He's not going to tell you two different things. And here's the thing. When I start to do what the Word of God says, those things, well, and everything, all those things we talked about, when I start doing those that the life that's informed by the spirit of god that just means when i read the word of god and i start to do it when i start following his spirit when i start doing what his word says then i can't help but start making right decisions isn't that amazing that when i get when i get in the word of god i see what it says i get in a habit of making right decisions and it's not just a habit like uh, 
You should brush your teeth every day. You know, that's... When you tell a kid they need to brush their teeth every day so their teeth won't fall out, and then their teeth start falling out because they're a kid, (laughs) kind of negates that argument. But when I start to follow after the Spirit and make His Word a priority and start doing what His Word says, it will affect and trickle down into the other decision-making choices or decision, decisions I have to make in my life because I'm starting to make choices and actions that are led by the Spirit. So when I go into a job interview, when there's a relationship that's having an issue, all of a sudden I am in the habit of making spirit-led decisions, and it makes me more sensitive in the moment to make the right decision. Financial decisions, I don't know what to do. Start making it a habit of doing godly decisions. If you know Scripture, you'll know the Word of God, the will of God for you. You know what will happen sometimes too? is when I put the Word of God inside of me because it's alive and it's powerful that I'll get in situations and I'll know to reject certain things because the Word is working in me. You see, that's really what I need is in every moment and in every situation that the Spirit and the Word are not segmented and relegated to times and moments. It is who I am. See, I'll enter situations, and, and, and you know what? I get in situations, and there's... I, sometimes I tell people to pray, and I don't know why, because they really don't need to pray about some things. It's clearly answered in the Word of God. No, you shouldn't do that, because it's going to pull you away from God. And that's not the will of God. Well, this job's really good, and if I get this job, I will be able to give more to missions. Oh, that's how we like to do the will of God, right? Make it spiritual. Now, I'm going to have to miss Sunday mornings and Wednesdays. But man, the churches I can build for other people. Well, I think we already read that it says don't neglect the meeting together. Do you really need to pray about that? But see, if I get myself in the right mode, when I start doing what Scripture says, then when that opportunity comes up and I know I'm going to have to miss all this stuff and I start justifying to approve what I want to do, no, that's not what Scripture tells me to do. That's not the habit that Scripture has. It's doing the will of God. And it helps me to see what is the real open door and to reject some things in my life as well because I'm in the habit of doing what Scripture says. Good decisions will beget good decisions. A verse that we know, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what is the point of all that? So that you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How is your mind renewed? You see, it's possible, what this verse seems to be saying to me, is that it is possible for me to know the will of God. And it's possible for me to be in the habit of knowing the will of God. Because this whole chapter is concerned about things that we continually do in our life as we grow with God. Every verb in this chapter is a continuing verb, things that I need to continue to do, that I need to be continually renewed In my mind, that means I need the Word of God. That's how I'm renewed. And when I keep renewing my mind, putting my mind with the mind of Christ, then I will be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it doesn't give qualifications of where and when and how. It just says, if you let your mind be renewed by the Word of God, that's what cleanses us and washes us and purifies us, the Word and the Spirit, then I will start to know what is the will of God in any situation. Get down to pray, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. You know what I need in that moment? I need the mind of Christ. There it is. There it is. I need to get in the Word. In fact, James chapter 1 and verse 21. I'm going to read that real quick. Hopefully that's the right one. I don't have to blame it on time change. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. That's a good start. And receive with meekness 
the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, when, when something is implanted in you, it becomes a part of you. I thought it was funny, uh, Friday at Celebrate Recovery, um, Nicole was yelling. So it was just another Friday. <laughs> she was yelling from this door to all within a mile radius that it was time to clean up. And there was a lady sitting there and said, man, you got a good set of lungs on you. <laughs> and I immediately I thought, well, anyway, I want I thought she doesn't even know what she's saying. That's, that's kind of crazy. But N- Nicole received a transplant of lungs. And, and those, those are her lungs now. They're hers. Her body had to accept those lungs. Those lungs do not work independently of her. They had to become a part of her. And even when she's not thinking about it, every second they are a part of her. They're a part of her if she decides to go to the track and run and she really notices the lungs. They're a part of her when she's yelling from the door and other people notice her lungs. They are constantly a part of her. This is what the Word of God is supposed to be. Not just when we think we need it. It should be so much a part of us that we do not even contemplate if it is a part of us. It has become so much a part of us. It is the implanted Word of God that's able to save my soul. And we think, well, salvation, no. I need salvation more than just when I was saved. I need it every day to stay saved. This is how the Word... And and so when it becomes a part of me like that, then all of a sudden these massive decisions... No, it's just how I do things. It's just who I am. And the decisions lead to other decisions. Doing what God has already said leads to doing more of what God has said. It's what it's supposed to be like in my life, the implanted Word of God. After Moses died and it was time to conquer Canaan, the Lord pulled Moses' lieutenant Joshua aside, prepared him for leadership and military triumph by spending over three months teaching him the art and skill of war. Nope. What happened? After Moses died and it was time to conquer Canaan, the Lord pulled Moses, Lieutenant Joshua, aside and prepared him for leadership and military triumph by spending only a week teaching him the art and skill of war. That's not quite right either. But we read what, what it says in the first part of Joshua, the first chapter. Moses died, it was time to conquer Canaan. And the Lord pulled Moses, Lieutenant Joshua, aside and prepared him for leadership and military triumph by saying, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Joshua is getting ready to take over from Moses, the guy that led them out of Egypt. How do you beat that? He has every promise that has ever been given to Israel resting on his shoulders. That's a a lot. Do you think he might have ever prayed, Lord, I need help and guidance and I'm not sure what to do? He has numerous battles. He's standing here facing uh, Jericho. Almost said Joshua. He's facing himself. Oh, now there it is. Really, the only battle he had was with himself, first of all. Come on now. He's facing Jericho. If that's ever a moment to say, Lord, what's, what's your will? I need to know what to do. And God says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. And remember what we're talking about. We're talking about the boring law that he has to meditate on day and night. So that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then, you will make your way prosperous. For then, you will have good success. When you do what I've told you to do and make it a part of you, then you will have success and be prosperous. And then God says, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Because when you put the Word of God in you, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
So that means if I do what God has told me to do and make his word a part of my life, do all the law, my way will be prosperous, I will have good success, and wherever I go, whatever decision I have to face, whatever circumstance I face, God is with me. That's a big word, wherever. But when I continually go to the word, when I make the Word my go-to, when I make the Word of God my primary purpose, when I make the revealed Word of God that I have right now my goal and my focus, then all of a sudden I start to find that the way becomes a little bit clearer. What lights my path anyway? Thy Word is a light unto my path. Lord, I wish you would reveal to me where I need to step next. Thy Word is a light unto my path. The Word of God is more than just a book. It's more than just something that I, believe, that I should believe that God inspired. No, it should inspire me and it should guide me every single day by its revealed will. Don't neglect the Word of God in search of His will. Don't neglect the Word of God in search of His will. They will be found and aligned together. Do what the Word says and you'll find God opening the way all over the place. I want us to stand this morning. And there's people in this place that I'm sure that there's at least one prayer that's been offered this week. Lord, what would you want me to do in this situation, this circumstance, this ministry, my life, whatever it may be. And I want us to pray that God would help us to do what he has already told us to do. Lord, I know this may not be figured out, but right here, I'm going to do what you have called me to do. I'm going to do what I know to do. I'm going to reach. I'm going to go. I'm going to give thanks. All these things in Scripture that we read are the will of God. Lord, help me to do what I already know to do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that your word directs, that it leads, it guides, that its words are true, that they are faithful, they are for me today. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to let the word become implanted in my heart, in my spirit, in my mind. Lord, that I realize that if I want to know your will, your purpose, what your mind is, I go to the word. I start doing what I already know to do. Lord, that your word has commanded me certain things. And so, Lord, I want to make your word a priority, what I already know to do a priority, God. And Lord, I don't want to neglect or turn away from any of those things. And Lord, I believe and trust you that as I do your will, as I do your purpose that you've already revealed, that more revelation will come, Lord. Greater understanding will come. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us back to your word today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here in Sunday school. We're going to take a few moments and start our main service today.